Hi, I'm Mike Davey, Senior Editor at Delicious Brains. In this episode of the Delicious Brainwaves podcast, we take a look at the current and future state of headless WordPress, what it is, what it's good for, when you should consider using it, and when you definitely shouldn't. Joining us on the podcast today is Jason Ball. Jason's a principal software engineer at WP Engine and the creator and maintainer of WP GraphQL, a free open source WordPress plugin that provides an extendable GraphQL schema and API for any WordPress site. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Delicious Brainwaves. Hello. Thanks for having me. Before we get too deep into Headless, we've had some major releases come out of Delicious Brains in the last few weeks, including ACF 6.0 and WP Migrate 2.4, as well as a new version of WP Offload Media. And actually, now that I think about it, ACF's ability to give you full control of your WordPress edit screens and custom field data seems really well suited to building a Headless site. Have you had a chance to look into the latest version of ACF? Yeah, I think it's pretty nice. A lot of nice user interface changes on the admin side. So I maintain an extension WP GraphQL for advanced custom fields as well. That takes your advanced custom fields, field groups, and exposes them to the GraphQL schema. I did make sure that the latest versions of each play nice with each other. There is some setting components to my plugin that I had to tweak just a little bit to play nice with the update. But yeah, it's looking really nice. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. And ICF is certainly a very popular plugin. It's got a really wide user base. So I'm always interested to hear what people think about it. And I often hear that about the plugin you created, WP GraphQL, that you were just talking about, mentioned in the same breath as ACF when it comes to headless WordPress. What led you to create the plugin and how can it help with headless builds? Yeah, so the backstory, I was working at a newspaper, well, a a parent company of a newspaper that we owned like a hundred and something newspapers across the U.S. When I was hired, they weren't on WordPress at all. So I was hired as part of a team that was migrating off of some legacy systems onto WordPress. We got a bunch of stuff on WordPress. We had at one point when I was still there, we had 54 newspapers on WordPress. But within this network of newspapers, we needed the ability to kind of pass content from one site to another. Uh, like syndicate content. We were using the WordPress REST API to do a lot of that. Each site was individual sites. It wasn't like a multi-site network or anything. So we had to communicate from site to site in different ways. And we were using the REST API to do a lot of data pooling and mutations, you know, using post requests to the REST API to create data on other sites and things like that. And at a certain point, it started to run into some scaling issues. And we said, you know what, like there's a lot of stuff happening that doesn't necessarily need to be happening when we're using REST. So we started to investigate like how we could make some things more performant, how we could deal with only the pieces of data that we actually needed to deal with instead of whatever the REST API gives you. So that led me to discovering GraphQL and I was convinced that it could help solve some of the problems we were having. And so it took me a little while to, you know, pitch it to my team. So I built some prototypes and, and showed people and finally was able to convince my team that, yeah, this might solve some more problems. So we started building it in-house for the newspaper. I told them, like, hey, I'm going to build this thing that we can use at the newspaper, uh, but I'm going to keep working on it as a community project. They were on board with that, so I, I kept it as an open source thing, kept building it. And so it was originally PHP to PHP, like WordPress to WordPress site, you know, transferring data around. Yep. But at the same time, there's like, obviously, JavaScript has been getting more popular. So I saw it on the horizon that, okay, folks are going to want to use this to get data into JavaScript front ends as well, or alternative UIs like native iOS or Android apps or whatever. Uh, So I kept working on it as a community project, you know, beyond what I was doing for the newspaper specifically. 
and then Gatsby uh, reached out and offered for me to work on it full time. And then after that, I came to WP Engine to continue working on it. One of the things I wanted to discuss was a WP Engine report titled The State of Headless. Just like anything else we discussed today, we'll link to this in the show notes. The report is based on a survey conducted in January and February 2021. It explores the current state of headless adoption among enterprise organizations, while highlighting the way businesses are using headless to create powerful digital experiences. A similar survey was conducted in 2019, and I believe there's another currently in the works. The survey itself was conducted with 400 IT or technical employees from the US, the UK, and Australia. There was some screening done to ensure survey participants had some knowledge of headless. In addition, the respondents came from organizations with at least 1,000 employees and revenues that averaged out to $2.7 billion. In other words, these organizations are well outside what we'd call a small to medium-sized business, and they're solidly in the enterprise class. That's really relevant when we start to look at some of the key findings from the report. I'd definitely suggest reading the whole thing, but there are three points that really jumped out at me when I read it. One, 64% of enterprise organizations are currently using a headless approach. That's an increase of nearly 25% from 2019. That's a big jump for just two years. I'm really interested in seeing what the next round of surveys shows about this trend. Two, among the enterprise organizations not currently using headless, more than 90% plan to evaluate headless solutions over the next year. That stat has risen 15% since 2019. Three, more than half of enterprise organizations were already using headless architecture in 2019 when the first study was conducted. Less than two years later, that number jumped to 64%. At least for enterprise class organizations, it looks like headless is on an upward trajectory. Now to me, it sounds like if you don't know headless WordPress, then it's a good time to learn. Judging by these stats, enterprise clients frequently want headless WordPress and they've usually got deeper pockets than your smaller clients do. Jason, in your view, why do so many clients in the enterprise class find headless WordPress attractive? Yeah, so like from my experience at the newspaper, for example, we were using WordPress obviously for publishing to the web, but we were also using it to get data into other systems. Like I mentioned, we're getting it into other WordPress sites. We were also using the data to prepare for print. So anytime you read like the Denver Post, for example, is the the newspaper, the office that I worked at. When you read the print edition, the content started in WordPress, but it had to be retrieved out of WordPress into another system to prepare for print. And then we also had other teams that were getting data out of WordPress for things like data and data analytic things. Um, so they were able to pull data at their leisure. So for us, it's like multiple teams need to make use of the data in different ways. Sometimes it's for presentation on the web, but sometimes it's for other purposes. And so Enterprise said, hey, we, there's a way to use this data in multiple ways. Let's take advantage of it. So that's one thing. We also had multiple teams, right? So we had a WordPress team, but then we had other teams. Like we had an iOS and Android, like the native the native app team. We had a data warehouse team and we had the print team. So all these teams need to use the same data. So you can separate by concerns. You don't have, not everybody has to say, hey, WordPress team, you have to solve this problem because we're relying on WordPress. We were able to separate the data and the presentation. So multiple teams could use it. We publish to multiple presentation layers like iOS or print or the web. It also allows us to evolve like how we build front ends, right? Like I mentioned, there's like this big, big surge of JavaScript frameworks, right? We have like Next and Gatsby and Svelte and all these JavaScript frameworks. And a lot of folks 
Like if you take a boot camp today, you're you're learning JavaScript. You're not learning PHP, most likely. So a lot of new developers know JavaScript. They don't necessarily know WordPress, but they can work with companies that are already invested in WordPress and build stuff. So security and speed also. What the user sees when they visit your site, if it's a headless front end, it's not the same system that is actually managing the content. So it reduces you know, some security concerns. Not necessarily eliminates them, but it, it can reduce them. And like, especially with the JavaScript, you know, surge, a lot of, a lot of these frameworks convert your data into static files and are deployed to CDNs. So as a user, you're getting a static file instead of round trip to the WordPress server to get the page. And so in a lot of cases, teams are turning to headless for speed benefits as well. In a former life, I was a magazine editor. And one of my dreams was to be able to take our online content, just do it once and just have it translate right to print without any further intervention really from the staff. And it seems like that's one of the major advantages is you get to separate your data and your presentation, as you mentioned, which leads to you can choose any front end that you or your clients want. I'm more a front end person than a back end. I'm not a dev of any kind, but I'm really more interested in how it looks and reads than what's going on in the background. So it sounds like that would be more of an opportunity to play around with how the content's displayed and allow us to generate unique user experiences and easily swap the content in and out. One thing that's cool too, like it's not, I know we kind of started on the enterprise conversation, but it, it benefits anybody. I, w- I would say it's actually getting to the point where it might benefit non-enterprise, possibly even more <laughs> sooner than later, at least. One thing that's happened to me is in my career in WordPress, like if let's say you had a website and somebody was rebranding, there's a good chance you're going to probably have to clone the entire site, the database, the themes, the plugins to a different WordPress install and then work on the rebrand and then they're still publishing content to their old site and then you have to figure out how to get the new content over and you're gonna have to change lots of stuff to make it look a certain way and with headless you can start working on the alternate front end while they're doing stuff in their current wordpress site you don't have to migrate to a different wordpress install you can start building a front end in next or gatsby or whatever it is while they're publishing to the web on their current wordpress site it can reduce a lot of the procedural overhead that comes with things like a rebrand, because you can you can work on it on the side without disrupting the existing publishing flow. I've lived through a couple of rebrands along those lines. That was one of the issues we always had was we keep creating content every single day. And one of the other things that I've learned is, and you did mention this, is like a lot of devs are learning JavaScript rather than PHP. And I'm wondering if headless, because you're not limited to PHP or JavaScript really, with a headless environment, you can connect the WP, like the WordPress backend to third-party applications made in whatever language you want, really. Yeah, some of it could just come down to like your comfortability. If you're skilled in JavaScript and that's all you know, or let's say Ruby or Python or whatever, our data warehouse team at the newspaper, actually, they did all their stuff in Python and they were able to consume whatever they needed from our GraphQL API and dump it into their systems. So for them, it was like analyzing data, like all sorts of data analysis stuff, but none of them wrote PHP, right? Our native iOS team, they were, I think they were building possibly in React Native or Swift, I can't remember. But same thing, they weren't writing PHP and they were using the data so you could download like the Denver Post app on your iPhone and it's a native iOS app, but it's data published in WordPress. But also like, I think right now, like if you have a client that says, hey, I wanna use WordPress to publish my content, can you help me? And you say, ah, I don't know PHP, I can't help you. Well, now you might be able to. If you know Ruby and you know how to build templates in Ruby, you can connect to the API and get data out in the language that you're comfortable with. You might've had to say no to this job a year ago, but now you could say yes to it and you can actually help your friend or you know the business deal get over the finish line.
the idea of like multiple teams sort of relying on that same set of data and presenting it in different ways for different teams seems like a definite advantage in the headless approach. I think everybody knows there are some challenges in there as well. Like I've heard that headless is often more expensive than a traditional WordPress site. So not only that, but the costs are often more complicated because there's just more to manage, right? At minimum, you need to set up separate infrastructure to manage the presentation components while WordPress handles the backend. Is there a way to overcome those challenges? It kind of depends on your situation, of course. You can technically run like WordPress. Like if you had a small project, you could run WordPress locally on a tool like Local by Flywheel. Or, well, it's Local WP now, I guess. So you could run WordPress on a tool like that locally on your machine and deploy the content to a headless site on a host like Vercel or Netlify or even Atlas. And there's free tiers that can host it. So like you could potentially actually save money by going headless. But I do agree, There's there usually is more complication. So one thing we're actually trying to help with in this space at WP Engine, we have a product line called Atlas, and that, that allows you to host your WordPress install and your JavaScript front end under one house. So one account, one billing, you know, one support staff. So it simplifies some of that. There's obviously still challenges and, and room room to fix things and reduce the friction here. But that's one option is like, you bring everything under one one roof, which simplifies some of the some of the components to it. Yeah, that definitely sounds easier than trying to deal with multiple vendors. What are some of the use cases for headless WordPress? What sort of assignments should make a developer stop and think, hey, this might be a good situation to give headless a try? Headless might be the way. I think skill set can be one. Like obviously, like I mentioned, if you're if you're a JavaScript developer that knows little or no PHP but you want to be helpful, you can put your skills to work and connect to API and build some cool stuff. I think e-commerce is a big one. There's research where page load speed is you know, a direct correlation with the conversions you have for selling on your e-commerce site. And with all these JavaScript frameworks, like mastering this ability to build static files and serve static files to users, page load speeds of headless sites are often blazing fast. Like they're super fast. So e-commerce is... We see a lot of folks building e-commerce with headless because the time it takes for the user to see what you're selling is just going to be really fast. We obviously mentioned like the cross-platform publishing, mm -hmm. things like if you're building applications that need to rely on you know data from WordPress, that's obviously one. Some of it is like if maybe you have a marketing team that is invested in WordPress, but you just don't care for like the WordPress templating system or whatever, and you want to pick your own technology that's obviously a way to go. Like you have, you have a content team that's invested in it and you don't want to pay to like migrate them and train them on something else, but you want to use other technology with the JavaScript, you know, surge of JavaScript frameworks, component based architectures has become a big thing. There's like tons of component libraries out there that allow you to build reactor view components that you can reuse across projects. And it doesn't matter where the data comes from. So you can, you, you as an agency, for example, could build component libraries you know, like common things that you might need on every project, like a slideshow or a gallery or whatever. And then you could connect that to whatever data source you want. So you could connect it to site A or site B's GraphQL API and populate your component. So over time, it can save you money as an agency because you can build these things that you use across projects. Where in WordPress, you're probably going to have to build it for every theme that you're delivering to your customers. So there's like, there's benefits like that. If you need something like really interactive, like think of there, I saw one headless WordPress site that it was a radio station where you could, you know, click play and listen to the radio, but then you could still navigate the site. And normally on a WordPress site, when you navigate across the site, it's a full page reload every time you click a link. 
but with single page app functionality where you're not loading the whole page, you're just getting data from an API and only parts of the page reload. And so you're able to listen to the radio while you navigate across the site and there's no interruption. So there's like those kind of interactive experiences are, are a really good option for headless. And then again, if security is top of mind, like you can make WordPress secure. WordPress is not necessarily insecure, but it, it can be a lot of work to keep it secure, especially, you know, adding plugins and all sorts of stuff. And so going headless can decouple the presentation layer and the CMS. And it doesn't necessarily eliminate all security risk, but it can reduce the stress you might feel of like keeping your CMS secure. I think overall security is really a matter of just trying to be a little bit ahead. <laughs> like you can never, there's no such thing as completely secure to my mind. The harder it is to attack something, the fewer people will bother. Like if you leave your front door wide open, eventually somebody's going to steal your television set. It's interesting that first thing you mentioned when we were talking about use cases was e-commerce and how page load speeds directly impacts conversions. There's been just a tremendous amount of research done on that. So if anyone's in doubt, we will link to a few studies in the show notes that show just how much even a few seconds can cost you and your clients when it comes to conversions. There do seem to be a lot of use cases for headless, but I'm curious about turning that around. Like when are, when are there situations when you should avoid using a headless approach? When will headless hold you back? Obviously a big one would be like your skill set. If you're trying to build a site and you don't know anything other than, you know, PHP or, or the WordPress template system, like, and you don't have any interest in learning it, Cool. Keep doing what you're doing. If, if it's already working, go ahead and keep doing it. There's nothing wrong with how WordPress renders data, right? It's just, it doesn't work for everybody, but doesn't mean it's bad. Then there's also like the project size, I guess, and scope of the project. Like I worked at an agency for a while and we built landing pages for like short-lived promotions, right? That were like, we put up a website for 30 days to run some promotion and then the and then it would disappear, right? So it's like, is the investment of going through everything to decouple and is it worth it? It might not be if you have a good system where you could do it all inside of WordPress. It could potentially be faster. Like if you had, like I mentioned how you could build reusable components, like there is a case where you, you might be able to actually do it faster in Headless than you could in traditional WordPress. But if you haven't invested the time to get to that point, it's probably gonna be faster to do it in WordPress still. And then also like there's like the complete DIY folks that don't know how to or don't want to learn how to code. They want to go to a host where they can click install WordPress and then use a page builder or Gutenberg or something like that where everything is completely point and click. Currently, we're not at a point with Headless where it's going to be useful. Like you have to have somebody doing something with the data currently. I do see a future though where we will have like Headless themes where you can just click a button and somewhere will be hosting your headless theme and you don't have to be a developer to use it. We're not there yet, but I do see a future, a not too distant future where you can be a point and click person and take advantage of the benefits of headless without necessarily being a developer. You might not even know it's headless, right? You might not even know. Somebody will know, but all you know is like you got this really cool thing working with some fancy functionality. And as far as you know, it could be React or Vue or something that's rendering it instead of PHP. Yeah, I suspect that we will see something like that at some point in the future. It seems to me that very often the, the entire space seems to be moving a little more towards fully point and click solutions, at the very least among a lot of what are often seen as WordPress's big competitors' products like Shopify and Wix. I think that, as you said there, that we may see that at some point. But again, as you said, in that case, someone like that might not even necessarily know that their site is headless. It doesn't really occur to them to even ask that question or know what headless is. 
But you did mention Atlas. I'd really like to talk about Atlas because it seems like a really great idea to me, especially the Atlas Sandbox. Atlas was launched in 2021, and WP Engine designed Atlas to serve as an end-to-end solution that includes the dynamic Node.js layer, the static CDN layer, and the headless content management system in one package. From your end, do you know why WP Engine thought the time was right to launch a headless WordPress solution? We obviously did the research and found out that a lot of a lot of folks are using headless in some capacity in their businesses, and WordPress is, you know, being 40 whatever three or something percent of the web folks want to use the data from wordpress in other ways too and one of the friction points like we brought up earlier is you have to host your javascript in one place and your wordpress in one place and then when something goes wrong you have two different support teams to talk to we wanted to help people that are going on this headless journey reduce that friction right like if something goes wrong you got one place to look and you have one place to ask support and you have one bill to pay so we're just trying to reduce that friction we see the trends going up right folks are using uh, javascript in general is obviously becoming more popular gutenberg itself is baked into WordPress core. So everybody's learning JavaScript to build on the back end of WordPress and and they want to use that same knowledge to build the front end of WordPress. So we just see that trend picking up and we want to help reduce that friction and give folks an option to do both things under one house. The convenience of getting it all in one seems really, really great to me. What else makes Atlas different from other headless WordPress solutions that are out there? Obviously, the big one is the one house thing. Everything's under one house. But another thing is our investment into open source, I would say. Like WP GraphQL, for example, fully open source. It's a free product. You can download it. But I'm getting paid by WP Engine to work on it and make it better for everybody. So that's one thing. They're they're investing in this project. We've also invested in other projects like Atlas Search is a free WordPress plugin that enhances search with WordPress, specifically targeted for headless users. We invested in a project called Atlas Content Modeler, which allowed you to you know register custom post types and taxonomies and field groups. And then we acquired advanced custom fields, which was kind of a competing product. And now we're kind of migrating efforts to work on that and make that better for the community. Advanced custom fields is wildly popular in the WordPress space. And we're very committed to making it a better open source tool for all the users. I think a big thing is the investment back into the community, both with free and paid products, but we're just making the community around this ecosystem better. So I think that's a big thing that separates us. I don't know too many other headless WordPress hosts that are, are making those kind of investments back into the community. Given the history of WordPress and just the way the community works, it's always nice to see that sort of like dedication to open source rather than a sort of walled garden approach. One of the things that I find really intriguing about Atlas is Atlas Sandbox which allows you to experiment with Atlas, I believe, completely for free. You can just sign up for it, get a free account, play around with it as much as you like, figure out how it works. Now, in your view, what should a developer have in place before they fire up Atlas Sandbox? Technically, you don't need anything. You, you know, you can just go in and point and click and it'll spin up a site. You'll probably would want GitHub repository to connect you. So when you spin up an Atlas account, you're going to get a WordPress backend, but then you're also going to get a JavaScript build tool to go with it. And typically that's going to be connected to a GitHub repository where you have your code for like a Next or a Gatsby site or something like that. So then whenever you make changes to that repository, Atlas rebuilds the code. Or whenever you publish content to WordPress, it also does what's needed in your JavaScript front end to rebuild and show the changes to users. So probably you want a GitHub repository that you're going to connect to Atlas. You can do it after you set it up, but it's probably going to make sense. If you have a project in mind that you're going to be working on, that's one thing. Obviously not required, but I would recommend using local WP just for local development. You can do stuff on your machine. 
and then we have tools that help you push content or push code changes or whatever up to your Atlas site. You did say you recommend local WP and not technical requires. It would work with other local development environments. Yeah, it should. There's just, you know, it's like one of those things we're trying to reduce friction for folks that are trying to do stuff locally on their machine. So yeah, it's definitely not required, but I don't go a day without using it as a great tool. I use local pretty much every day. And it's free too. That's a, that's another thing. Like we've invested in in keeping that free. There was a time when we had like a pro plan for it. And if I'm not mistaken, we've reverted that and said, hey, you know what? We're going to give you those free features for free too because we want as many people to be using this as possible. I was using local for my local development environment before Delicious Brains was acquired by WP Engine. It was the most trouble-free way I could find to set up a local environment on my machine. I was using a Windows computer at the time and practically nothing else I tried worked. Yeah, when I when I was working at the newspaper even, I mean, we had, you know, so many sites and all these weird nuances. So I usually had my my WordPress is set up with PHP, Nginx, and all that stuff just directly on my machine. And then I started using local WP. And man, I think after I discovered it, I started doing all my development, even for the newspaper in there, just because it saved me so many headaches of like the DevOpsy side of thing that I could do if I wanted to, but like, I got other stuff I'm working on. Like, I'll let this tool do it for me. It was, it was very nice. So I've been using it for years. That seems to be the general theme of any technological development. Is it just any, just about any technological advance just makes things you could do easier? I mean, sometimes it opens up completely new capabilities, but a lot of the time it's just removing stress and strain from doing things manually. Say I'm going to sign up for an Atlas Sandbox account. Uh, what kind of sites can I build? Like, am I limited in any way? You can build basically anything. Like, you can install plugins on it and, you know, things like that. And then you can connect whatever, you know, GitHub repo with your headless front end the limitations are though that you can only have one site on your account so you can't have you know 50 sites under your atlas count as a sandbox um, so you can have one site just to get a taste of it and you also can't set the custom domain so it would be like some random domain dot you know wpengine.com or whatever so it is intended for you to get a taste of it but if, if you're comfortable with it and you're ready to deploy to production then you'd want to upgrade to a paid account now, assume that for some reason I'm okay with not setting a custom domain and I only want one site. Would I be able to deploy from the sandbox or do I need to upgrade to do that? Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you should be able to if, if you don't care about having a something.wpengine. It's, it's going to be like a random domain, though. You don't have control over it, so you could, though. Like, it, it will be live on the internet. Yeah, I mean, you could share it with people if, if you're comfortable with it, for sure. One of those things that, yes, you technically could, you just probably would. What's next for Atlas? Like, what kind of features can we expect to see in the future? Atlas, I think I've kind of mentioned this, but Atlas is like a lot of things, right? We have we have Atlas, the platform, which when I think of that, I think of specifically like the JavaScript hosting side of it, which is kind of new to WordPress host, right? You could go to any WordPress host and spin up a WordPress site, but you can't go to any WordPress host and have it do your JavaScript builds. So we have the JavaScript side of it, um, like the Atlas node engine. And then we have Atlas, like the WordPress initiatives too. So like enhancing things like caching for WP GraphQL, for example. If you're an Atlas customer using WP GraphQL, you can make GraphQL requests over Git instead of post requests, and you're going to get caching. And we're investing in tools to invalidate those caches when you publish content in WordPress, for example. And then we have like the Atlas open source initiatives, like I mentioned, Atlas search 
and things like that. I'm working on a WP GraphQL Smart Cache, which is an initiative to help this community as well with caching GraphQL and validating the caches. So I think that there's a lot of stuff coming. As I mentioned, we also acquired advanced custom fields. We had our Alice content modeler team that's now invested in working on advanced custom fields to make it better for everybody, not just headless users of WordPress, but better for everybody. But headless is part of that, right? We want to make these tools first class for those organizations that are deciding to go headless. So more tight integration with, you know, how advanced custom fields connects to APIs and exposes data in that way. Tons of good stuff. I, I think there's there's a lot of stuff we'll see in like the Atlas dashboards over time. Like right now you can you can monitor your build logs for your JavaScript front end. And I think we'll see more tools around that space to keep you updated on what's happening under the hood. I think there's going to be other tools that help you. Cause sometimes, sometimes when you go headless, it can be tricky to figure out like, Oh, if something is going wrong, is it my JavaScript front end? Is it my WordPress? Is it some like middle area? Like what what's going wrong? And so I think we're gonna we're we'll start seeing more tools that help you understand what's actually happening under the hood, either to prevent stuff from going wrong or to help identify when things do go wrong. So I think we'll see tools like that in Atlas dashboard popping up. There's gonna be all sorts of stuff, I think. That sounds great. Speaking of some of the work that's going on in advanced custom fields right now, I don't really want to give too much away, but I've seen the roadmaps for it. And I've got to say, there were some really amazing features coming down the pike fairly soon. Some of it is enhancing the headless experience, but not all of it. There's just some some really great stuff coming there. Do you have any final thoughts? Like what are some of the, the biggest roadblocks if you do want to use headless? What's standing in your way? I think there's still gaps of knowledge out there, right? Like if you haven't been deep in one side or the other, like if you're new to JavaScript, a lot of stuff isn't going to make sense. Or if or if you're a JavaScript developer but you've never used WordPress, a lot of stuff isn't going to make sense. So I think I think there's still a lot a lot of room for folks that are building successfully with this to share their knowledge on it, right? We're doing our part. We have a DevRel team that is publishing a lot of content on it. But if you've built in this, like share your knowledge. I think that's a big missing piece. Is like the folks that are figuring out the stuff and benefiting from it. Share how you're benefiting and share how you got there. Or even better. Find out what's not working and share that too, you know, like help us identify the the friction from your perspective. Because sometimes, you know, we don't always experience it the same way you do. So when we, we, we might think something's working great and if, if it's not working for you and we don't know about it, we can't make it better. Whether it's successes or failures, share that. I think information's a, a big thing that could be increased in this space. There's a lot of technical stuff still, you know, data rate on questions on like how to deal with things like private data that requires authentication like there are solutions for it but like even wordpress core doesn't have like a formal authorization authentication mechanism for headless like an oauth solution or whatever there's plugins that do it and things like that so there's a lot of like weird stuff like oh if i want to do headless but i want to write data back to wordpress there's a lot of gaps there one with knowledge and technical pieces there's room to be improved all over Personally, from my end, I'd love to hear from some developers out there who are using a headless approach for those those smaller clients that you mentioned earlier. Just because a lot of a lot of what I've seen, it does focus on those large enterprise style clients because they've been a bit quicker to adopt the headless approach. But I'd really like to see how some developers are finding success using headless for their smaller clients. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I think we covered a lot of stuff. I guess uh, the one thing I would add is how you can find me and information on WP GraphQL. So. I'm on Twitter at Jason Ball, B-A-H-L, uh, or at WP GraphQL. YouTube, we got a WP GraphQL channel. You can search for that there as well. And then WPGraphQL.com. Oh, GitHub as well, GitHub.com slash WP-GraphQL. 
And then the plugin WP GraphQL is on the WordPress.org plugin repository as well. That's it for this episode of Delicious Brainwaves. I'd like to thank our guest, Jason Ball, for filling us in on the current and future state of headless WordPress. You can find links to everything we've discussed, including the Atlas Sandbox, in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Delicious Brainwaves podcast.